the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya. We are thrilled to have you, and we'd be even more thrilled if you'd hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Just subscribe. Keep it in your little feed there. It'll be great. So who is George Soros? I bet you hear that name a lot. I certainly have. And if I ever tweet about him, I get called anti-Semitic. Yeah. I think it's a way to try to scare me off from digging any deeper into who George Soros is, why he's so connected to so many politicians, why he has influence over district attorney elections, and those kinds of things. He's a man who really doesn't seem like he loves America, but he sure loves to spend money on American politics. So why is that? We're going to find out from a guy named Matt Palumbo. He's the author of a book that came out in 2021 called The Man Behind the Curtain, Inside the Secret Network of George Soros. And people have been paying attention to this book more lately. And he's done a series for the New York Post, which is really interesting. And he's also affiliated with the Dan Bongino Show. He's written a bunch of books. One, my favorite title, Dumb and Dumber, How Cuomo and de Blasio Ruined New York. That came out in 2020. Interesting guy, knows his stuff, researches a lot. And we're going to learn about George Soros. Who is this man of mystery who is no mystery to the White House? We know that, and certainly not a mystery to a lot of our media. What's he got going in that mind of his? What does he want or not want for America? We'll discuss it with Matt Palumbo next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Well, as I said in the intro, Matt Palumbo, and now I'm going to read from the Amazon page, folks. Matt Palumbo is the author of The Man Behind the Curtain, Inside the Secret Network of George Soros. This is uh, 2021. Dumb and Dumber, How Cuomo and de Blasio Ruined New York. Love that. That was in 2020. Debunk This, Shattering Liberal Lies. That was 2019. And Spygate in 2018. Man, you are prolific. You do a lot of research. I'm going to start from the beginning, Matt. I find you interesting. Where were you born? I was born in New Jersey um, and sort of as, I don't know, a weird coincidence of history. I sort of grew up around a lot of people that are in right wing media, um, though didn't know, to, know that at the time. So when I worked at my first job at Dunkin Donuts, it was actually near a church that Neil Cavuto went to. So he would no come kidding. in here and there. Yeah, but I didn't you know, I wasn't uh, I must have been 16 or 17. So like I wasn't uh, as outgoing or or. 
I don't know, I think I was probably too intimidated at the time to kind of be like, hey, I know you're from TV, but I noticed him there. And, and you know, one uh, at least two people from my high school now work at Fox. Um, actually, Carly Shimkus from Fox Business went to my high school, but many years before me. So it's just all these little uh, interesting connections, all these people in my sphere that also went on to do this. But I... You know, I, I didn't really think I was going to go into politics. It had been an interest of mine. And to me, you know, that getting on TV or something, it seemed that writing was the key to doing that. So I kind of in the background was studying finance throughout college. And, you know, uh, or sorry, that was my main thing was studying finance. And then in the background, I would just kind of write here and there and try to get my name out and not thinking it was going to turn into anything. But eventually Dan Bongino, and this was back in, I think, 2013 or so, stumbled upon my column and started reading it. And then that was kind of the first, uh, I think, first domino that kind of turned into everything else 10 years down the line. Dan Bongino has had great success with his podcast, with his show on weekends on Fox News. And I really like Dan. He's kind of no nonsense. And um, he seems he seems to he's really courageous in the way he speaks. And he's just seems to have a good head on his shoulders. He's not a jerk. Uh, I, I like I like him. Uh, but you've written a lot. And it, it's it's so interesting to me that all of these people that you mentioned come out of New Jersey because you think of New Jersey and maybe more of a liberal state. But right. it, it's uh who who knows? Um, so y- you started with Spygate. Oh, was that the first book? So I have three self-published books, but I don't count them just because <laughs> anyone can kind of do that. <laughs> but but the first, Spygate was the first professionally published. Um, and I, I co-wrote it with Dan Bongino. Then another woman named uh, Denise McAllister, who used to work at The Federalist, um, did a lot of good work on that as well. Like I... I would say like we all sort of wrote it, came at it with a different angle where like Dan had the story and then I put it all together in order, almost like a police report. And then Denise is like a more like of a novelist type person. So then she went through it and made it the, the story. So we each kind of had our own part and it just worked like an assembly line kind of perfectly. Did, did any, really how much pushback did you get on the facts on, on the facts of your story? Uh, do you mean the, the Spygate one or, or the Soros? Spygate. Uh, Spygate. I mean, it would be that thing where they would call it a conspiracy, but then when it came to the, well, what do you mean? That was just absent. So surprisingly little. It was just the generic, you know, Fox News is fake news type comments, yeah. but nothing really substantive. Um, I mean, I remember BuzzFeed did an article complaining about how I linked certain people to like various figures. But again, no details of why it was just sort of can you believe this kid kind of article but <laughs> but nothing too nothing really all that substantive um then even with the soros book so it got more it came out last year but it got a lot more attention this year because i did a new york post series about it and right. the open society foundation which is soros's foundation put out like a, a twitter thread trying to debunk it and they didn't address any of the claims really directly they just said well here's other stuff we do that's good that you can't deny okay or or the only thing i recall they denied was when I try, I put it out that, you know, there are various me- mainstream media figures who are parts of corporate boards or, or, or charitable boards, media organizations that have received for Soros funding. And, you know, I say, well, therefore, you know, it's pretty easy to suggest that they're probably influenced. I mean, if you're working for a think tank that's pro-oil industry and you're a politician, you're probably going to be more pro-oil. But they then just said, like, well, it's specified in our grants that can't influence their coverage. Like, as if if we're just going to believe that. Yeah, that's like money is, uh, you know, we have it set off for Social Security. It can't mm -hmm. be spent anywhere else. Well, you know, money. We saw how that happened. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, you just said something like, uh, uh, this kid, can you believe this kid? How old are you, Matt? (laughs) Uh, 29. Oh, my gosh. Yes. You really are young. I mean, for for having written so much and having accomplished so much, you really are young. And so I can see how people would try to use that against you. I'm going to use it in your favor. But what I want to do, Matt, is this most recent book, and again, the series in the post, which is why this is getting more attention. I'm intrigued by it because I don't think enough people understand who George Soros is, what his aims are. And one time I took to Twitter to criticize a George Soros uh, appointed or elected DA, and I was called an anti-Semite. So, so there, there's that, there's that track too, where people just try to say, "Well, you're anti-Semitic if you're if you don't agree with George Soros, whatever." Um, so who, what is George? Who is George Soros? Let's start right, really basically there for people who don't know a lot about him. So I would say by both dollar value and like objective influence, he is the most influential man in U.S. politics, probably in our history. Um, he's been at it for many, many decades and started in Europe, but started getting involved in our presidential elections in the early 2000s. Um, and it's just been very well connected to all of our politicians. If you go, for instance, on his son, Alexander's Instagram page, uh, it's photos of him and often his father will just go to a who's who of every uh, politician in Washington. And you, you mentioned the anti-Semitism angle. I, I jokingly reached out to his son, Alex, because his son was posting photos of his father with like Pelosi or people. And I said, Alex, like, aren't you worried it's anti-Semitic to link your father to this woman? And he didn't think that was funny at all. But uh, that is sort of the the, the, the argument you get. And, and that uh, sort of ties into another reason he's influential, and that is his role over the media. Uh, so in the book, I have various connections to media figures. And as I said earlier, the way I do it is, I want there to be within one degree of separation. So if there is a, a media organization that gets an enormous amount of funding from Soros and, you know, someone from insert publication here happens to be on the board, I would say that there is some degree of influence and it doesn't have to be like Soros phoning them and saying, do this. It's just more of an implicit that guy's backing us. We kind of know what, what's up here, uh, but it shows up in their in their coverage too. So I, you know, I list out various uh, media outlets in the book, and the way I go about it is I say, like, just type Soros's name into the search box in any of these websites, and how do they cover him? And it's always either positive or, if there's anything negative, it is from this perspective of hey, these crazy Republicans are accusing him of doing this. There's actually been this rise, they call it Republicans pounce, where, uh, you know, if if a Republican screws up in the media, the headline is the Republican screwing up. If a Democrat screws up, it's get a load of the Republican reaction or overreaction to the Democrat screwing up. And Soros has been able to do that, too. Uh, He's also funded like the Pointer Institute, which owns PolitiFact. And again, let me me get to something basic from behind all of this. Why? Does he care so much? Well, it's almost, I mean, I I have to be amateur psychologist, but I I feel like he is someone, and and there actually are writings of his that indicate this, who enjoys power for power's sake. Um, It it is almost, and and you sort of notice that with leftist activism is that it is deliberately open-ended and never ends. So for instance, um, like the gay rights movement, especially with gay marriage, would be uh, so an example of an extremely successful movement and one where it had a stated goal, it achieved the goal, and in a normal world, the movement would go, okay, great, we've been at this for 30 years, we accomplished it, time to go home. 
and of course, I mean, you know, uh, but like the Human Rights Foundation is actually raising far more money now than before gay marriage was even legal in this country. So it, any any social movement, particularly if it's run by leftists, will immediately morph or just infinitely fracture. So so you sort of see this with the arguments for intersectionality, where, you know, initially it would be men versus women. And then it's, well, black women are more oppressed than white women. So now it's going to be them versus white women. But OK, if you're black and transgender and then you can just infinitely reduce yes. any identity forever and it's those types of movements he fought he fights or or funds where they will never stop so if you know black lives matter if we got police killings down to one death a year that's still one that's still enough to justify their movement like everything will can always be phrased to perpetuate itself entirely and the goal really is just to gain power um for the left their you know politics to them is punishing their enemies and getting power from themselves uh we focus more on the policy element and we sort of miss that uh with them I, i think hi everyone if you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault listen up we have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Well, so he, so power for power's sake and mm-hmm. definitely from the left, mm-hmm. does he have an idea, a goal of what he wants America to look like? Because he sure is trying to influence. Um, and we talk about, for, for instance, the district attorneys mm-hmm. that have been getting elected that are Soros linked district yes. attorneys, St. Louis, uh, Minnesota, um, LA, you know, San Francisco got rid of theirs, but it, there's a lot of linkage to Soros. And for for the most part, we see these district attorneys trying to soften the response to crime, trying to, you know, say that jails are should shouldn't even really exist. And and mm-hmm. so what how is that possibly a good goal? Well, that's the thing. And, you know, pe- the question I get is, what is his motivation? And yeah. and I always say, like, I'm usually generous. You know, I, I think my liberal neighbor who wants teachers to get paid more isn't, you know, some sinister evil guy with a dark agenda. But, the, you know, this is a type of policy where there is really no spin to it. It is, you know, almost like an economics equation where if something gets more expensive, if, it, if there's more punishment for committing crime, you will get less of it and, and vice versa. And we see that in quite literally uh, every single place he appoints these prosecutors and and they will sometimes try to obscure reality by saying so for instance buddha biberaj uh, is one of these da's and her whole thing was like well i don't want to enforce things like traffic tickets when we could enforce domestic abuse cases now 
that's the rhetoric, but enforcement goes down across the board. So we don't even get to see if that theory is true, which I don't think it is because they just don't enforce anything. Um, in fact, she enforced, I think, something like 8% of domestic or dropped all but something like 8% of domestic violence cases after taking office and then got her budget cut and then started enforcing less laws claiming it would help her do this. So just all this stuff that's, that's nonsensical or they just act like there's sort of this I, well, I've noticed that people, their their idea of law and order in this country is increasingly from like TV shows and Netflix. And most young people will think that there is like a, a wave of people or a surplus of people in jail because they got caught smoking pot. Um, and that's just a completely invented yeah. uh, thing, then narrative. Um, in fact, Obama or uh, Biden recently pardoned all federal marijuana prisoners, and it resulted in zero people leaving jail because <laughs> no one goes to jail. Or, or I mean, the, the only the, the argument they'll cite is there is one statistic that there's something like forty thousand people in jail for pot. But if you actually read the sentences, it's like. You know, they got caught with a ton of fentanyl and had a joint. You know, yeah. I'm oversimplifying, but it's in conjunction with very serious crimes. So, it's, yes, so that's, they, that's how we get that stat. But it's basically no one unless there's some crazy three strikes scenario or something. Rafael Manguel did a, a lot of study into that, and we had him on as a guest. And it's certainly his his data his yes. data supports their uh, what you're saying here, and that that. You know, yeah, no, people aren't just sitting yeah. in jail because they rolled a joint. That's Correct. not that's yeah. not what's going on here. And people need to be realistic about it. Have you thought about your liver? You should, and you need to take care of it. Why? Well, the latest data from the American Heart Association indicates that adults with fatty liver were three and a half times more likely to have heart failure, heart failure than those without heart failure. Think about that. And the American Liver Foundation says that 100 million Americans have fatty liver. So do the math. A lot of people are at risk. And, you know, with all this stuff we throw at our liver, with cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, Tylenol, statin cigarettes, many of us have a sluggish fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy. Now, your liver's been doing a lot for you. It's time for you to do something for your liver. And so here's my recommendation. This solution is called Liver Health Formula. Liver Health Formula. It's an all-natural supplement containing 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. It's made right here in the USA, approved by American doctors. So if you're looking to ignite your fat-burning metabolism, boost your energy, and transform how you look and feel, try Liver Health Formula. And get five free gifts when you order today. You're going to get a free bottle of nano-powered omega-3 to keep your heart healthy. And you, you'll get four free ebooks to support every aspect of your health. So try Liver Health Formula by going to getliverhelp.com slash sideline. Getliverhelp.com slash sideline. Get your five free bonus gifts. Getliverhelp.com slash sideline. Getliverhelp.com slash sideline. So we've got George Soros influencing a lot of things, and he does seem sinister. His aims seem sinister. There's certainly his DAs, as you mentioned, and the politicians he support he supports certainly seem to be looking to degrade life in America, not improve life in America. And I keep wondering how someone, how anyone thinks this is a good thing. Well, I, I mean, I, 
I hate to sound like, I don't know if this sounds lazy, but I, I honestly feel like a lot of these people are mentally ill or have some degree of insanity because it's just they speak about criminals as if they are the real victims in any yes. situation. And that like it's as if like I saw this, this anything will get blamed on society. So if someone steals from a Walgreens, then they, they rephrase it as like, oh, well, you're a jerk because you don't want to fund the schools more or yeah. such and such. And the thing is, all of those arguments, well, all of these problems are happening in blue cities that generally do pursue all these liberal policies. So if spending all this extra money in schools or, or homelessness actually worked, well, why isn't it working? I mean, in fact, I mean, you see the opposite in California where – I mean, you want it, you, there's a balance in everything, but they've made it so easy to be homeless that most people just will relocate there because it's it's more hospitable than any other state. Uh, and they've exacerbated the problems. And then, two, I mean, the argument they'll say, like, well, we should spend more on social programs to get more off the street. Well, the, the, the sad reality of is most of them don't want to be off the street. You know, most of them will reject housing if there's a condition they can't do drugs. So right, you know, right. the idea that's yeah. Yeah. So the idea that, you know, everyone at homeless just had this bad string of luck, that obviously is true of a number of people. It's just as a percentage of the total, it's overwhelmingly a drug and mental health issue. And putting them alone in a shelter doesn't actually solve the problem. So. And the problems are many. The problems are many. Um, would George Soros be supportive of what's going on at the border right now? Absolutely, yes. And I know this is sort of pointing out the obvious, but the real end goal is amnesty and then knowing that they will disproportionately vote Democrat. Um, and the, the logic that we use towards uh, deeper, well, towards the current illegal population basically ensures that nothing will ever be done. So they'll say, and the estimates actually range from like 10 to 30 million. We have no idea how many there are, but they'll say, let's just say 30 million. They'll say, well, there's 30 million people. We can't possibly deport them. So what's the point? And the problem with that argument is then 10 years go by and we go, hey, there's 40 million illegals. Yes. We can't deport them. What's the point? And then so on and so forth. And, you know, we've tried amnesty before under Reagan. And, you know, even a Republican couldn't design that in a way that worked. Um, you know, the, the, the real problem is when you're screening people for amnesty. I mean, the, the people who had that job had a minute or two per person to make that decision. And as it turns out, most people get through. Um, and in fact, there was actually a surge at the border after Reagan announced the amnesty. So, you know, we, yeah. we know what those policies do. Um, it doesn't work. And, and during the pandemic, we actually did enforce the border. And what do you know? There were no illegal crossings and no drug, well, much fewer drugs getting crossed. I mean, I know there were obviously fewer job opportunities, but to go from millions to zero, I think is pretty significant. So, you know, we obviously can do something and it's a choice not to. Um, and, you know, uh, every other country does the same. Uh, to my knowledge, actually, I think Mexico deports more illegals from Central America every year than we do. Um, obviously, there's a geographical reason for that. But if people are going to say it's racist to deport people, well, they're doing the exact same thing. And, and well, more than we are going to say it's racist to do anything because nobody yeah. wants to be called a racist. And mm -hmm. so if you're at the other end of that, yeah. You know, that equation, you are mm -hmm. racist because yeah. fill in the blank, Correct. you're just going to kind of get terrified, which is mm -hmm. what what has happened largely in mm -hmm. this country is, you know, but I, I saw an interesting meme on Twitter the other day that said uh, 10 years from now, you know, we project that people will run out of things to call racist it's true. Um, <laughs> and we'll, we'll see about that. I'm not I'm not convinced, but mm -hmm. it's it it it. it, it dilutes the actual meaning of the word 
And that helps nobody. That helps nobody because we, what we should be focusing on is actual racism, which I think Mm -hmm. is much lower in this country than people Mm -hmm. project it to be. Yeah. They say the the demand exceeds the supply. Um, And you notice that with, with not all hate crimes, but the ones that are of the threshold that make the national news, those tend to be the ones that are false. And it's because they're usually so egregious. It's like, it's straight out of like, you know, the, the South in the 1860s. Like it's someone was, you know, read a book and was inspired to, to come up with it. Um, but those ones tend to be fake. And, and for that reason, that that type of racism generally doesn't really exist. Um, now, obviously, there are lesser hate crimes every year, but just, you know, the, the, the most shocking ones are generally complete nonsense. And and the, the one of the skills that the left has is making words have no meaning whatsoever. Oh. Um, so the word violence is one of those things or 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 if you were, for instance, to to question the transgender narrative, they won't phrase it as you're you know, you're questioning what it's like to be transgender. It's you're questioning my existence. Yes. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm pretty sure you exist. That's not what the debate is about here. But mm-hmm. but there is probably we could come up with a 100 other examples where language has no meaning uh, whatsoever or has such a range of meaning. It means nothing. I think that is a, a, a really important point. That mm-hmm. words are being twisted to mean other things. Equity mm-hmm. has replaced equality when what Correct. really we should be guaranteeing everyone is equality of opportunity, not equal outcomes, because some yeah. people are going to work harder than others. Uh, student loan apparently doesn't mean you have to pay it back anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, violence, silence is violence. Uh, you know, that that is yeah. so unfair to the people who just don't want to participate yeah. in this stuff. And you're calling them an accomplice if they don't speak up, if they don't mm-hmm. get involved, they're somehow an accomplice to the violence. All of these things. And it's it, it it's kind of is reminding me of the of the cultural revolution in China. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate to make that reach, but when you that's start, what it is, though. <laughs> what's that? That's exactly what it is though. Yeah. I mean, when you yeah. start tearing down statues mm-hmm. and changing language and trying to erase history so that we can start fresh, mm-hmm. that means we're ignoring our history and therefore not learning from it. And it's bound to repeat itself. I, I, I don't know. What's your take on that? Well, I, I do see that really everywhere and, and not only erase the history, but rewrite it in their favor. Um, there there is go. this sort of thing where they'll take like famous inventions and claim actually it was real secretly invented by this person of an identity that we now elevate that you've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, stuff like that. And, and I, I do think I mean, the, the history you learn in, in high school, middle school growing up is generally from a, a center left perspective on every possible issue. And most people just assume that whatever you learn in that class was figured out and they got it right. And there's just so many more perspectives than than you really get there. But, yeah, it, it's sort of put horse blinders on a lot of people and just give them the wrong frame of reference. Like most people like it would be fair to say that, you know, in the 1950s versus today, people were more racist. But was it sure. to the extent where a black person cannot walk down the street without getting assaulted? Well, no, that's that's might be true in a Netflix documentary, but it's not true in real life. Um, not to deny there wasn't you know more of that. It's just it was not this all consuming thing every single day of your life. Um which I think is an, uh, an important distinction in that context. But they're going to do this with pretty much every issue uh, you could really ever imagine. When it comes to the issue of race, one of the things I find fascinating is that it has less to do with the color of your skin and more to do with your ideology. Correct. Because I've heard people, I have sat with people 
and heard people say, well, Clarence Thomas doesn't represent the black community or this person doesn't think like most black folks. Someone said to me once in a private conversation or, um, you know, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Mm -hmm. So and and you've got black conservatives who just are called unbelievable names Mm -hmm. because they don't go along with the ideology. So this to me boils down to less about Mm -hmm. your skin color and far more about ideology and using racist and white supremacist as names to call people um, that, that don't agree with the ideology instead of just saying we disagree. Yeah, ultimately, everything boils down to agree with us. So you, you would see a sort of talking points or, or phrasing after George Floyd's death, like, you know, listen to black people on insert issue here. And I'm like, well, I can find there's 50 million black people. I can find one who believes everything I believe. So do I listen to that guy? And it's like, well, what you're just saying is listen to the ones who agree with me. And in which case, race is irrelevant at that point. Um, and, and yes, I mean, it, it is it should be irrelevant. Um, and that's sort of where we're going in this country. But they've once again made it relevant. And the media and obviously Soros uh, fuels these narratives. But they are the reason I, I see race relations. I wouldn't say breaking down, but worsening. Um, so just to give one example, in uh, according to Gallup's polling, you go back to like 2010 or so, um, a super majority of African-Americans and white people agreed that there were uh, good relations between the races. It was like 75 to 80 percent. Um, in the year of George Floyd's death, it went below 30 percent. Now, the kind of kicker here is there was a 75 percent decline in unarmed black men getting killed by cops during that time period. So over a time period where the number of black men killed by cops went down by 75 percent, the p- number of people saying race relations were good went down by like two thirds. So how do you explain that? Well, it's immediate inflaming racial tensions. They will relitigate past hate crimes from, from decades ago and act like this is just part of our history and it's all lead in this one direction leading towards more of this. Um, but they, that, you know, the horse blinders, as I called it earlier, really does have a huge impact in how people think. Uh, and then it's going to translate into political policy. I mean, that was the whole justification for defund the police. And the number of black people that died uh, have died as a result of defund the police is it's more than have died in, in lynchings in the past 300 years. It's more than usually are killed by cops in many years combined. So it was just a complete disaster of a policy and all built on a lie and, and a problem that was improving as we declared war on it. It's staggering to me. And again, that you mentioned pointing to things in history and making them sound like they're still applicable Mm -hmm. today, Mm -hmm. never acknowledging how far we've come, simply hanging on to how bad it was 400, 300, 200 years ago and and not acknowledging where we are today. And it, it, it drives me insane. And, and uh, you know, the identity politics that are so pervasive Mm -hmm. in this country that on the one hand gets Lori Lightfoot elected the first black gay mayor of Chicago. But when she loses, she says, yep, that's because I'm a black woman in America. <laughs> it it I, is I, mega country. I, you know, I, I just, it's just, it's nonsensical and I hope people see through it. I'm, I'm not convinced, but I hope so. Before I let you go, let's talk about George Soros and his attachments to the media. You, you touched on that earlier. What are they? Who should we know about? And and what do we do about it? You actually might have to bring up the list really quick. I, I want to no, like, get bring it up. All right, great. Cool. Yeah. 
Okay, good. I just need my okay. jog my memory a little bit. Sorry, but I um. So a lot of it, as I mentioned earlier, it is he donates to just various like media organizations. Um, and then it, you know there will be people on those boards who are connected in some way to the mainstream media naturally. Um, so that includes a lot of people like um the, the CEO of Politifact. Um, and he funds the Pointer Institute, which actually owns Politifact, um, or has in the past, and. You know, as, as I to kind of play off the point I made earlier, you type Soros's name into PolitiFact, uh, all the fact checks purport to debunk claims against him um, or just brand anything as a conspiracy. Um, but you also have people like NPR it has received funding from him as well. Um, so really anyone in NPR and, and, and you know, it, this sort of will be evergreen, but just search Soros's name on these sites and see what happens. Um if people like CBS's Margaret Brennan, CNN's uh, Fareed Zakaria, um, they're both in the Council for Foreign Relations, which is Soros funded. Um, and then, you know, in the book, I just have a list and it is really every three letter news site minus Fox, uh, various national newspapers, um, just really every possible publication you could think of that has a mainstream audience, unfortunately. And, and you know, as I said before, he doesn't even need to be like a direct conspirator making the calls. It's just when your funding comes from someone, uh, you know better than to, you know, publish stories bad mouthing them. Um, no, you know, no question. I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. pretty simple. It's, you know, it's like when the FBI says, we don't tell social media companies what to do. We just alert them to the fact that there might be this Russian disinformation. Right. Well, you know, I think we all get the idea. Your influence is pretty pretty deep and wide. And we keep hearing George Soros's name. Again, the, the book is The Man Behind the Curtain Inside the Se Secret Network of George Soros. It came out last year, 2021 rather. I would encourage people to check out all of Matt's books, Dumb and Dumber, How Cuomo and Blasio Ruined New York. I, I hope I hope someone can save that once great city. Uh, debunk this, Shattering Liberal Lies. That was in 2019. And Spygate came out in 2018. And you've got another one coming out in the next several months on fact checking, which this is really interesting to me as well. So uh, last thing before I let you go is that people think if they fact check something, that that's the end of it. Correct. I fact checked this through Snopes. They said it was wrong. Therefore, it is wrong. Yeah. Or I fact checked this through PolitiFact. They said it was correct. Therefore, I know it is correct because the word fact is there, right? So <laughs> what, what's, what's, where can people go? Is there anywhere, Matt, that people can go where they can say, now I know the truth? Unfortunately not. I mean, Twitter has that new community notes feature, which I think is probably the closest you're going to get to the truth because it's, it's crowdsourced. So it's just, if someone's wrong, there's going to always be one person who can correct it. But ultimately the problem with fact checking is someone does get to be the final arbiter on truth. And we all have, you know, finite mental capacities. And uh, in the case of many of these fact checkers, extremely limited mental capacities it would seem when you read their work uh, and just the book, what it was more motivated out of my own frustration with certain fact checkers. So I was really petty enough to put together a hundred thousand word book debunking them. Um, but I, I just divide it into just different chapters of incompetence. So I'll do, I did a chapter called like brief blunders where it is just fact checkers misreading things or not understanding a statistic or just not under, like not getting what they're writing about because Many of these fact-checking groups will take someone out of college and kind of make them a jack-of-all-trades. So you have a 22-year-old with a communications degree fact-checking economics and law and national security. And, you know, I, I'm sure they may be able to specialize in one field eventually, but you're going to have a lot of errors doing that. Uh, and that happens. Um, I have a chapter called Fact-Checkers versus Fact-Checkers where I'll just show that 
A, you know, different fact-checking groups often can't agree with each other. Um, but then sometimes within a certain publication, they will change their methodology for evaluating claims, depending if a Republican or Democrat is making it. So uh, my favorite <laughs> example in the book was uh, Ron Paul said, uh, before the 16th Amendment, there was no income tax. Uh, PolitiFact said that was either false or half true because while there is no income tax, there are other taxes and people have incomes. Therefore, yes, that's what they went with. Okay. So anyway, okay. so a Democrat named Jim Webb later on um, said there was no income tax before the 16th Amendment. Same exact claim gets fact checked by PolitiFact. Get rated true because there was no income tax before. So there's I have a whole chapter and that's all that chapter is, is just those. Um, I, I, you know what? I can't <laughs> wait to read that, uh, except that my head might explode with frustration Probably. because it is so infuriating to mm -hmm. me that people are less concerned with the truth and more concerned with their ideology and it it is it, it it it's it could be the downfall of this country and I hope and pray it is not but fortunately there are people like Matt Palumbo who are doing the research and 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 and, and people I'm sure are going to say Matt that you're biased as well that you know you're a, a Dan Bongino acolyte and therefore you can't write anything that's objective and to that you would respond how well, I mean, I obviously everyone has a bias. Um, I'm just exposing their bias. And it was obviously more noticeable given my own, I, I suppose. But, you know, I put a lot of work into, into it and it is written from a right wing perspective. But I think everything's well sourced. And, you know, I cut maybe 20,000 words of content from the book just because there are certain things I wrote where if I was 95 percent sure, I, you know, I know how bad it looks if even one essay in the book is wrong. It kind of discredits the whole book. It'll be the headline of, you know, this guy's whole shtick is he debunks fact checkers and he couldn't even get this right. So right. if there's anything where I just felt like I was missing something, I deleted it. And that was like a sixth of the book. I just thought, you know what, I'll put these away. And if I can, you know, validate a hundred percent, I'll use them for the next one. But, you know, I tried to be as careful as I could. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. I, I'm biased for good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Matt, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. You are, you've got a, clearly a long, bright future ahead. We'll be following it. In the meantime, he's the author of The Man Behind the Curtain, Inside the Secret Network of George Soros. And I think that's really fascinating for people who continue to hear this guy's name. They mm -hmm. know that there are people and politicians and DAs and media companies connected to him, but they don't really know what that means. Mm -hmm. Read the book and find out. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. I hope we can do it again. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. All right, folks, don't forget to subscribe. And as always, be brave and do good. And thanks for listening to Sideline Sanity. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.